0: Section 5 of Army Letters from an Officer's Wife, 1871-1888. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Army Letters from an Officer's Wife, 1871-1888 by Francis Rowe. Section 5. LETTERS FROM 1873 PART 2 CAMP SUPPLY INDIAN TERRITORY FEBRUARY 1873 Upon our return from the Cimarron, we found a dear clean house all ready for us to move into. It was a delightful surprise, and after the wretched huts we had been living in ever since we came to this post, the house, with its white walls and board floors, seems like a fairyland. It is made of vertical logs, of course, the same as the other quarters, but these have been freshly chinked and covered on the inside with canvas. General Bork ordered the quartermaster to fix the house for us, and I am glad that Major Knox was the one to receive the order, for I have not forgotten how disagreeable he was about the fixing up of our first house here. One can imagine how he must have fumed over the issuing of so much canvas boards and even the nails for the quarters of only a second lieutenant. Many changes have been made during the few weeks General Bork has been here, the most important having been the separating of the white troops from the colored when on guard duty. The officers and men of the colored cavalry have not liked this naturally, but it was outrageous to put white and black in the same little guard room, and colored sergeants over white corporals and privates. It was good cause for desertion. But all that is at an end now. General Dickinson is no longer commanding officer, and best of all, the colored troops have been ordered to another department, and the two troops of white cavalry that are to relieve them are here now and in camp not far from the post, waiting for the barracks to be vacated. We have felt very brave since the camp has been established and two days ago several of us drove over to the Cheyenne village that is a mile or so up the creek. But soon after we got there we did not feel a bit brave, for we had not been out of the ambulance more than five minutes, when one of their criers came racing in on a very wet pony, and rode like mad in and out among the tepees, all the time screaming something at the top of his voice. Instantly there was a jabbering by all of them and great commotion, each indian talked and there seemed to be no one to listen several tepees were taken down wonderfully quick and a number of ponies were hurried in saddled and ridden away at race speed a few squaws wailing as they watched them go guns in their hands other squaws stood around looking at us and showing intense hatred through their wicked eyes it was soon discovered by all of us that the village was really not attractive and four scared women came back to the garrison, as fast as government mules could bring them. What was the cause of so much excitement, we will probably never know. And, of course, we should not have gone there without an officer. And yet, what could one man have done against all those savages? We were honored by a visit from a chief the other day. He was a Cheyenne from the village, presumably, and his name was Whitehorse, he must have been born a chief for he was young very dignified and very good-looking too for an indian of course his face was painted in a hideous way but his leggings and clothing generally were far more tidy than those of most indians his chest was literally covered with polished teeth of animals beads and wampum arranged artistically in a sort of breastplate and his scalp lock which had evidently been plaited with much care was ornamented with a very beautiful long feather, fortunately, Fay was at home when he came for he walked right in unannounced, except the usual how Fay gave him a chair, and this he placed in the middle of the room in a position so he could watch both doors and Then his rifle was laid carefully upon the floor at his right side. He could speak his name, but not another word of English, so thinking to entertain him. Fay reached for a rifle that was standing in one corner of the room to show him as it was of a recent make although the rifle was almost at the Indian's back the suspicious savage saw what Fay was doing and like a flash he seized his own gun and laid it across his knees all the time looking straight at Fay to see what he intended to do next not a muscle of his face moved but his eyes were wonderful brilliant and piercing and plainly said, "'Go ahead. I'm ready.' I saw the whole performance and was wondering if I had not better run for assistance when Fay laughed and motioned the Indian to put his rifle down again, at the same time pulling the trigger of his own to assure him that it was not loaded. This apparently satisfied him, but he did not put his gun back on the floor, but let it rest across his knees all the time he sat there, and that was for the longest time, and never once did he change his position, turn his head, or, as we could see, move an eyelid. But nevertheless he made one feel that it was not necessary for him to turn his head, that it was all eyes, that he could see up and down and across, and could read one's very thoughts, too. The Indian from whom we bought Powderface, his name is Dog, you will remember, has found us out, and like a dog, comes every day for something to eat. He always walks right into the kitchen. If the door is closed, he opens it. If he is not given things, he stands around with the greatest patience, giving little grunts now and then, and watches Ferrar until the poor soldier becomes worn out, and in self-defense gives him something, knowing full well all the time that trouble is being stored up for the next day. The Indian never seems cross, but smiles at everything which is most unusual in a savage. With the White Cavalry is a classmate of Fay's, Lieutenant Isham, and yesterday I went out to camp with him and rode his horse, a large-spirited animal. It was the horse's first experience with a side-saddle, and at first he objected to the habit, and jumped around and snorted quite a little, but he soon saw that I was really not a dangerous person and quieted down. As Lieutenant Isham and I were cantering along at a nice brisk gait, we met Fay, who was returning from the camp on Powderface, and it could be plainly seen that he disapproved of my mount. But he would not turn back with us, however, and we went on to camp without him. There is something very fascinating about a military camp. It is always so precise and trim, the little tents for the men pitched in long, straight lines, each one looking as though it had been given special attention and with all things in the same military precision and neatness it was afternoon stables and we rode around to the picket lines to watch the horses getting their grooming when i got home faye was quick to tell me that i would certainly be killed if i continued to ride every untrained horse that came along not a very pleasant prospect for me but i told him i did not want to mortify him and myself too by refusing to mount horses that his own classmates particularly those in the cavalry asked me to ride and that i knew very well he would much prefer to see me on a spirited animal than on a gentle lady's horse that any inexperienced rider could manage so we decided that the horse after all "'was not a vicious beast, and I am to ride him again tomorrow. "'Last evening we gave a delightful little dance in the hall "'in honour of the officers and their wives who are to go, "'and the officers who have come. "'We all wore our most becoming gowns, "'and everyone unacquainted with army life on the frontier "'would have been surprised to see what handsome dresses "'can be brought forth, even at this far-away post, "'when occasion demands.' There are two very pretty girls from the East visiting in the garrison, and several of the wives of officers are young and attractive, and the mingling of the pretty faces and bright-colored dresses, with the dark blue and gold of the uniforms, made a beautiful scene. It is not in the least surprising that girls become so silly over brass buttons, even though wives get silly over them sometimes. End of Letter Camp Supply, Indian Territory, April, 1873. In the last mail, Fay heard from his application for transfer to another company, and the order will be issued as soon as the lieutenant in that company has been promoted, which will be in a few weeks. This will take us back to Fort Lyon with old friends, and Fay to a company whose captain is a gentleman. He was one of Fay's instructors at West Point. "'I have a new horse.' and a lively one, too, so lively that I have not ridden him yet. He was a present from Lieutenant Isham, and the way in which he happened to possess him makes a pretty little story. The troop had been sent out on a scout, and was on its way back to the post to be paid, when one evening this pony trotted into camp and at once tried to be friendly with the cavalry horses. But the poor thing was so frightfully hideous, with its painted coat, that the horses would not permit him to come near them for some time. But the men caught him and brought him on to the stables, where there was trouble at once, for almost every man in the troop claimed ownership. So it was finally decided by the captain that as soon as the troop had been paid, the horse should be raffled, that each man in that one troop could have the privilege of buying a chance at one dollar, and that the money should go in the troop fund. This arrangement delighted the men, as it promised something new in the way of a frolic. In due time the paymaster arrived, the men were paid, and then, in a few minutes, there was brisk business going on over at the quarters of the troop. Every enlisted man in the troop, sergeants, corporals, and privates, eighty-four in all, bought a chance, thus making a fine sum for the fund, "'A private won the horse, of whom Lieutenant Isham immediately bought him "'and presented him to me. "'He is about fifteen hands high, and not in the least of a pony build, "'but is remarkably slender, with fine head and large intelligent eyes. "'Just what his colour is we do not know, "'for he is stained in red-brown stripes all over his body, "'around his legs and on his face, but we think he is a light gray. When he wandered to camp, a small bell was tied around his neck with a piece of red flannel, and this, with his having been so carefully stained, indicates almost conclusively that he was a pet. Some of the soldiers insist that he was a race pony, because he is not only very swift, but has been taught to make three tremendous jumps at the very beginning of his run, which gives him an immense advantage, but which his rider may sometimes fail to appreciate. These jumps are often taught the Indian race ponies. The horse is gentle with Faye and is certainly graceful, but he is hard to hold and inclined to bolt, so I will not try him until he becomes more civilized. The Indians are very bold again. A few days ago, Lieutenant Golden was into luncheon, and while we were at the table, we saw several Kiowas rush across the creek and stampede five or six horses that belonged to our milkman who has a ranch just outside the garrison in a few minutes an orderly appeared with an order for lieutenant golden and ten men to go after them without delay and bring the horses back of course he started at once and chased those indians all afternoon and got so close to them once or twice that they saw the necessity of lightening the weight on their tired ponies and threw off their old saddles and all sorts of things, even little bags of shot. But all the time they held on to their guns and managed to keep the stolen horses ahead of them. They had extra ponies, too, that they swung themselves over on when the ridden beasts began to lag a little. When night came on, Lieutenant Golden was compelled to give up the chase, and had to return to the post without having recovered one of the stolen horses one never knows here what dreadful things may come up any moment everything was quiet and peaceful when we sat down to luncheon yet in less than ten minutes we saw the rush of the indians and the stampede of the milkman's horses right from our dining-room window the horses were close to the post too splendid cavalry horses were sent after them but it requires a very swift horse to overtake those tough little Indian ponies at any time, and the Kiowas probably were on their best ponies when they stampeded the horses, for they knew, undoubtedly, that cavalry would soon be after them. End of Letter Dodge City, Kansas, June, 1873 We reached this place yesterday yesterday, "'expecting to take the cars this morning for Granada, "'but the servant who was to have come from Kansas City on that train "'will not be here until tomorrow. "'When the time came to say good "'I was sorry to leave a number of friends at Camp Supply, "'particularly Mrs. Hunt, with whom we stayed the last few days "'while we were packing. "'Everyone was at the ambulance to see us off, "'except the Phillips family.' We were three days coming up because of one or two delays the very first day. One of the wagons broke down soon after we left the post, and an hour or so was lost in repairing it. And at Buffalo Creek we were delayed a long time by an enormous herd of buffalo. It was a sight that probably we will never see again. The valley was almost black with the big animals, and there must have been hundreds and hundreds of them on either side of the road, they seemed very restless, and were constantly moving about instead of grazing upon the buffalo grass, which is unusually fine along that valley, and this made us suspect that they had been chased and hunted until the small bands had been driven together into one big herd. Possibly the hunters had done this themselves, so the slaughter could be the greater and the easier. It is remarkable that such grand-looking beasts should have so little sense as to invariably cross the road right in front of moving teams, and fairly challenge one to make targets of them. It was this crossing of large numbers that detained us so long yesterday. When we got out about fifteen miles on the road, an Apache Indian appeared, and so suddenly that it seemed as if he must have sprung up from the ground. He was in full war dress, that is, no dress at all except the breech-clout and moccasins, and his face and whole naked body were stained in many colors in the most hideous manner. In his scalp-lock was fastened a number of eagle-feathers, and, of course, he wore two or three necklaces of beads and wampum. There was nothing unusual about the pony he was riding, except that it was larger and in better condition than the average Indian horse. But— the one he was leading, undoubtedly his war horse, was a most beautiful animal, one of the most beautiful I ever saw. The Apache evidently appreciated the horse, for he had stained only his face, but this had been made quite as frightful as that of the Indian. The pony was of a bright cream color, slender and with a perfect head and small ears, and one could see that he was quick and agile in every movement. He was well-groomed, too. The long, heavy mane had been parted from ears to withers, and then twisted and roped on either side with strips of some red stuff that ended in long streamers, which were blown out in a most fantastic way when the pony was running. The long tail was roped only enough to fasten at the top a number of strips of the red that hung almost to the ground over the hair. Imagine all this savage hideousness rushing upon you on a yellow horse with a mane of waving red. His very presence on an ordinary trotting pony was enough to freeze the blood in one's veins. That he was a spy was plainly to be seen, and we knew also that his band was probably not far away he seemed in very good spirits asked for tobacco and rode along with us some distance long enough to make a careful estimate of our value and our strength finally he left us and disappeared over the hills then the little escort of 10 men received orders from fay to be on the alert and hold themselves and their rifles ready for a sudden attack we rode on and on hoping to reach the Cimarron Redoubt before dark, but that had to be given up, and camp was made at Snake Creek, ten miles the other side. Not one Indian had been seen on the road except the Apache, and this made us all the more uncomfortable. Snake Creek was where the two couriers were shot by Indians last summer, and that did not add to our feelings of security, at least not mine. We were in a little coolie, too, where it would have been an easy matter for Indians to have sneaked upon us. No one in the camp slept much that night, and most of the men were walking posts to guard the animals. And those mules! I never heard mules and horses also sneeze and cough and make so much unnecessary noise as those animals made that night. And Hal acted like a crazy dog, barking and growling and rushing out of the tent every two minutes, terrifying me each time with the fear that he might have heard the stealthy step of a murderous savage. Everyone lived through the night, however, but we were all glad to make an early start. So before daylight we were on the road. The old sergeant agreed with Fay in thinking that we were in a trap at the camp and should move on early. We did not stop at the redoubt, but I saw as we passed that the red curtains were still at the little window. It seems that we were not much more safe in this place than we were in camp in an Indian country. The town is dreadful and has the reputation of being one of the very worst in the West since the railroad has been built. They say that gamblers and all sorts of toughs follow a new road after breakfast this morning, we started for a walk to give Hal a little run. But when we got to the office, the hotel proprietor told us that the dog must be led. Otherwise, he would undoubtedly be stolen right before our eyes. Fay said, no one would dare do such a thing. I would have him arrested. But the man said there was no one here who would make the arrest, as there certainly would be two or more revolvers to argue with first. "'and in any case the dog would be lost to us, "'for if the thief saw that he could not hold him, "'the dog would undoubtedly be shot. "'Just imagine such a thing!' "'So Hal was led by his chain, "'but he looked so abused and miserable, "'and I was so frightened and nervous. "'Our outing was short, "'and here we are shut up in our little room. "'We can see the car-track from the window,' and I wonder how it will seem to go over in a car the country that we came across in wagons only one year ago. From Granada we will go to the post in an ambulance, a distance of 40 or more miles. About a ride of 50 miles over these plains has no terrors for me now. The horses, furniture, and other things went on in a boxcar this morning. It is very annoying to be detained here so long, and I am a little worried about that girl. The telegram says she was too sick to start yesterday. End of Letter Fort Lyon, Colorado Territory, June, 1873 It has been impossible for me to write before, for I have been more than busy, both day and night, ever since we got here. The servant for whom we waited at Dodge City, and who I had hoped would be a great assistance to me in getting settled, came to us very ill, almost too ill to be brought over from Granada. But we could not leave her there with no one to take care of her, and, of course, I could not remain with her, so there was nothing else to be done. We had to bring her along. We had accepted Mrs. Wilder's invitation to stay with them a few days until we could get settled a little, but all that was changed when we got here, for we were obliged to come directly to our own house, unpack camp bedding and the mess chest, and do the best we could for ourselves and the sick girl. The post-surgeon told us as soon as he had examined the girl that she had tuberculosis in almost its last stage, and that she was threatened with double pneumonia, so you can imagine what I have been through in the way of nursing for there was no one in the garrison who would come to assist me. The most unpleasant part of it all is, the girl is most ungrateful for all that is being done for her, and finds fault with many things. She has admitted to the doctor that she came to us for her health, that, as there were only two in the family, she thought there would be so little for her to do, she could ride horseback and be out of doors most of the time. What a nice arrangement it would have been, THIS FINE LADY SITTING OUT ON OUR LAWN OR RIDING ONE OF OUR HORSES, AND I IN THE KITCHEN PREPARING THE DINNER, AND THEN AT THE END OF THE MONTH, HUMBLY BEGGING HER TO ACCEPT A LITTLE CHECK FOR THIRTY DOLLARS. WE HAVE AN EXCELLENT SOLDIER COOK, BUT THE CARE OF THAT MISERABLE GIRL FALLS UPON ME, AND THE TERRIBLE EXPERIENCE WE PASSED THROUGH AT DODGE CITY HAS wholly UNFITTED ME FOR ANYTHING OF THE KIND. The second night we were there, about one o'clock, we were awakened by loud talking and the sounds of people running. Then shots were fired very near, and instantly there were screams of agony, I'm shot, I'm shot, from some person who was apparently coming across the street, and who fell directly underneath our window. We were in a little room on the second floor, and its one window was raised far up, which made it possible for us to hear the slightest sound or movement outside. The shooting was kept up until the man was dead, many of the bullets hitting the side of the hotel. It was simply maddening to have to stay in that room and be compelled to listen to the moans and death gurgle of that murdered man and hear him cry, Oh, my lassie, my poor lassie, as he did over and over again, until he could no longer speak. It seemed as though every time he tried to say one word there was the report of a pistol. After he was really dead, we could hear the fiends running off, and then other people came and carried the body away. The shooting altogether did not last longer than five or ten minutes, And at almost the first shot, we could hear calls all over the wretched little town of vigilante, vigilante, and knew that the vigilantes were gathering. But before they could get together, the murderous work had been finished. All the time, there had been perfect silence throughout the hotel. The proprietor told us that he got up, but that it would have been certain death if he or anyone else had opened a door. Hal was on the floor in a corner of our room, and began to growl after the very first scream, and I was terrified all the time for fear he would go to the open window and attract the attention of those murderers below, who would undoubtedly have commenced firing at the window, and perhaps have killed all of us. But the moans of the dying man frightened the dog awfully, and he crawled under the bed where he stayed during the rest of the horrible night. THE CAUSE OF ALL THE TROUBLE SEEMS TO HAVE BEEN THAT A COLORED MAN UNDERTOOK TO CARRY IN HIS WAGON THREE OR FOUR MEN FROM DODGE CITY TO FORT DODGE, A DISTANCE OF FIVE MILES. BUT WHEN HE GOT OUT ON THE ROAD A SHORT DISTANCE, HE CAME TO THE CONCLUSION, FROM THEIR TALK, THAT THEY WERE GOING TO THE POST FOR EVIL PURPOSES, AND TELLING THEM THAT HE WOULD TAKE THEM NO FURTHER, HE TURNED HIS TEAM AROUND TO COME BACK HOME. On the way back the men must have threatened him, for when he got in town he drove to the house of some colored people who live on a corner across from the hotel, and implored them to let him in. But they were afraid and refused to open the door, for by that time the men were shooting at him. The poor man ran across the street, leaving a trail of blood that streamed from his wounds, and was brutally killed under our window early the next morning when we crossed the street to go to the cars the darky's mule was lying on the ground dead near the corner of the hotel and stuck on one long ear was the murdered man's hat soon after we reached granada a telegram was received giving an account of the affair and saying also that in less than one half hour after the train had passed through Dodge City was surrounded by troops of United States Cavalry from Fort Dodge, that the entire town was searched for the murderers, but that not even a trace of one had been discovered. When I got inside a car the morning after that awful, awful night, it was with a feeling that I was leaving behind me all such things, and that by evening I would be back once more at our old army home and away from hostile Indians and hostile desperadoes too. But when I saw that servant girl with the pale, emaciated face and flushed cheeks, so ill she could barely sit up, my heart went down like lead, and Indians seemed small trials in comparison to what I saw ahead of me. Well, she will go in a few days, and then I can give the house some attention. The new furniture and china are all here, but nothing has been done in the way of getting settled. The whole coming back has been cruelly disappointing, and I am so tired and nervous I am afraid of my own shadow. So after a while I think I will go east for a few weeks, which I know you will be glad to hear. End of Letter End of Section 5